Good morning, good morning, man. Let me quickly just challenge you again. You heard Josh talking about uh, two campuses uh, launching. One of those has been meeting across the uh, lobby for the last couple months, Upstate Church Malden. Uh, it, it's, it's in Malden, uh, city limits, but it's literally four or five miles down the road here. Let me just really encourage you guys, if, if again, you have not heard this challenge or maybe you've just not really prayed about it, Go ahead and begin praying about if God may be leading you to be a part of that core group. You really have a couple more weeks to make that decision, uh, at least before the launch. They're going to internally launch the first week or two of August. It looks like August 1st could be August 8th. But then the external launch is August 22nd. That's a big day because we're launching in Malden and Anderson the same time. And so would you pray, man, would you pray? I know you say, well, why would you want people to go from downtown? We want to create a sending culture. We want to make it clear. We're, we're trying to reproduce ourselves in other areas of the upstate because we really believe God has given us an upstate mission and vision. And so, uh, man, be praying about that. Next Sunday morning, Ashley Moore is going to be preaching uh, final sermon before they launch uh, out in downtown. So uh, let's go ahead and be here. I'm going to be here. We're going to support him and pray for him and Carrie and the campus as they launch out. And let that be just a huge exclamation point for them. Following Sunday, we're actually going to have the last Sunday that Will Bray will be preaching downtown before the launch on August 22nd in Anderson. And so let's support. The next two weeks, let's pack this place out with guests and also be praying about what God would have you to do in relationship to Malden and Anderson. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians. Turn in, turn on your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We've been in Philippians for the last couple months. In fact, if you're watching at home, you can always go back and watch the last uh, few weeks, kind of catch up, because when you walk through a book like we've been doing, uh, they're also interconnected. And so every week we're walking verse by verse through this book of Philippians. And so last Sunday, if you weren't, weren't here, it was really a message geared toward this idea of being selfless and serving one another. This is what God has called us to. He's not called us to a self-centered gospel. He's called us to a Christ-centered gospel that calls us to be selfless. So as we turn the page and we're in Philippians 3, I can go ahead and tell you, this is one of those messages that's going to be a little bit of an oh me, and, and uh, it's going to be challenging because it kind of amplifies that idea even more, maybe even more clearly than last Sunday. There's no way to read the words of, of Philippians chapter 3 and run away from this idea that this life is not about you. This life is not about me. That if we're a follower of Jesus, that the call of Christ is for us to call, uh, that, to surrender our lives and to follow him and to follow his plan for us. Not, not to chase after materialism, not to chase after popularity or fame, not to chase after prestige, but to recognize that our priority in life is to follow him and he will add all of those things to us according to his will for us. And so Philippians chapter three it's going to kind of amplify this idea of gain and defining what is gain in this life and what is loss and what should be our priority related to that. I'm going to use the term spiritual math because Paul presents some spiritual math that doesn't make sense in our human reasoning. It's just going to be another one of those paradoxical ideas that we don't get if we're like thinking about it from a human perspective. We really have to go back to chapter 2 of Philippians and remember, he said, have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. So we ought to 
pursue the mind of Christ. The only way we can get this is by the mind of Christ. And so look with me, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what it says. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Verse 2, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. We'll define those things in just a moment. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Would you say those last six words with me? Put no confidence in the flesh. One more time. Put no confidence in the flesh. This is a massive point for us to get. And so again, if we're at home, maybe we're at the beach, watch or listen, this is so important. We're not to put confidence in ourselves. Spiritually speaking, even physically from a provision perspective, especially from a righteousness perspective, put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, Paul says. It's almost like he said, you know, my dad's bigger than your dad. You know, it's like Paul's tripping here, right? He says, I have more, uh, more reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks that he has confidence, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, kind of give his, basically his resume uh, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. And so Paul's saying, from a Jewish perspective, from a religious perspective, man, I checked all the boxes. If anybody in this conversation has a reason to depend on themselves, it's me. This is what Paul's saying. Look at verse 7, though. After he's come to that conclusion, he said, whatever I gain... Whatever I had gained, I count it all as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I count all that stuff as trash in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, that I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. See, that's the priority. That's number one. That's what we've got to pursue. And so that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, become like him in his death, that by all means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so understanding all of this, here's the thing. I know we tend to, in our human nature, run from sacrifice. We tend to run from surrender. We like to get if we have to choose between get or give, we tend to get. I mean, we, we, are, we are surrounded by a culture that has convinced us this world, this life, this existence is about us anyway. Everything's centered around us. Everybody's trying to please us. Even spiritually speaking, when we're trying to make a decision, if we should give in to a draw or tendency or a temptation in our life, the society around us is now telling us, they're teaching us, follow your heart. Trust your heart. Follow your heart. So this is what the world teaches us. Why? Because they're, they're wanting us to just satisfy ourselves with our own desires, with our longings. This is, hey, please yourself. 
You, you know, you may hear people say, and I've talked with folks going through difficult struggles who, who answer it very honestly. They just say, you know what? I have always served other people and now it's time to serve me. Now it's time to worry about me. And that may sound attractive to you when someone says that. Listen, that is an extra biblical concept. That is nowhere found in the word of God. I mean, we just walked through an entire chapter, Philippians 2, where it said, think about other people, not yourself. Where we talked about, hey, Hey, have the mind of Christ, who though he was God, he actually came down and emptied himself. He he emptied himself into the form of a man. He became a servant. He actually obeyed God to the point of death, even the death of a cross. This is God in flesh who cared so much about you that he died for you. So this is like, this is the selflessness. This is the example that we're given, not to please ourselves, live for ourselves, but to live for others, actually to put other people above ourselves in the name and the call of Christ and obedience to him. So with all that in mind, I want us to first look at this this strong warning in verse two. There's this big warning to look out. I mean, when somebody says look out, we know it's time to really check what's, what's being said. Paul says look out for three different groups of people In some sense, though, this is almost synonymous terms for the same group, these Judaizers. These were religious people who were trying to impose Jewish customs on Gentile Christians. And so he says, look out for dogs, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, and look out for the mutilators of the flesh. Those three terms sound a little odd, so let's first talk about the dogs. What's he mean when he says, look out for the dogs? It's really difficult for us to grasp this because we're, we're in a day where you know, dogs are like really cute, cuddly pets for the most part. So we have domesticated pets. So dogs are, are cute. And so he's not saying look out for the pugs, all right? You know, we have a pug. He's not saying look out for the chihuahuas, even though you should, amen? Seriously. <laughs> Watch those things. But anyway, he's not saying look out for, for the pets. See, in this day, dogs were, were wild. They, they ran in like wild packs, and they were scavengers. And so a dog, when he said look out for the dogs, he was saying look out for these, these false teachers who care more about themselves than you. Look out for these, these men who are teaching self-righteousness. Look out for these men and women who are, who are teaching you this, this uh, manipulated gospel of me uh, because it's selfishness. Remember chapter two, it's all about selflessness. So look out for these dogs who are really selfish. They're spiritual scavengers. They're really motivated by selfish pride. Don't follow them. And I wish I could say to you that's a problem that was present 2,000 years ago, but it's no longer a problem. That would be an error in my judgment. We are surrounded by people who stand on a stage and speak holding a Bible in their hand, or sometimes not, who may, in the name of Christ, in the name of Christianity, spew out all kind of heresy that is contrary to what God's calling you to. Anything that is a me-centered gospel is against the word of God. And so here's the thing. The, the gospel's not about me pleasing me. And that's, so Paul's warning them, look out for the dogs. Look out for these scavengers, spiritual scavengers who are, who are just in it for themselves. But then look out for the evildoers. He recognizes that even those who do religious work 
can be evil. They're evildoers. He, he recognized this is not just talking about adulterers, although perhaps he's saying, look out for those who are extreme sin, extremely sinful. But he's, saying, he's saying, look out for these in, in religious sinners, these people who are so filled with self-righteousness. And he recognizes self-righteousness is a sin. In fact, perhaps a great sin because it's pure evil. You think about it, the religious elitists were robbing God of his glory. So anytime we become self-righteous and we start thinking somehow the good deeds that we do, the good works that you perform are somehow, you know, giving you a, a leg up. You're a little more deserving of the grace of God. Or maybe, you know, we're better people than some other people. Anyone that, that teaches anything like that or anytime we even live like that, we're living contrary to the word of God. What we do when we do that, when we're self-righteous, when we think too highly of ourselves, we position ourselves on the throne that, that God alone deserves. So we're sitting there somehow where as a religious elitist, as a self-righteous man, looking down his nose at other people who are guilty of sin, we rob God of his glory. We stand in a spotlight that he alone deserves in our lives. And so God forbid that we become an evildoer. See, that's almost opposite of what we would think of evildoer. But this self-righteousness really is, is a, is a self-idolatry to where we become an evildoer worshiping ourselves. But then the third is, a, is a, a synonym basically for the same group of people, mutilators of the flesh. He's talking specifically about circumcision here, but it points back to Judaism and how these Jewish people who were following Jesus or they're trying to marry the two. They were basically trying to impose Jewish law and Jewish customs on Gentile Christians. And just so we don't think this was some extreme small minority, Paul actually corrects Peter in Galatians chapter 2 verse 14. So write down that, that passage. Galatians 2 14. Paul actually kind of scolds Peter and, and he says, look, don't, don't try to add Jewish rules or customs to G Gentile Christians. And, and so he's saying, don't be a legalist. Don't be a legalist. Don't, don't just run away from self-righteousness that would be trusting yourself. But also don't impose, don't impose rules on people that Christ didn't impose. See, Jesus came not to destroy the law, certainly, but to fulfill it. And in fulfilling it, listen, Jesus did the work at the cross. So we embrace the work of the cross, and by grace, he empowers us. We'll get to that in a second. He empowers us for Christian living, pointing back to chapter 2. He empowers us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that work of sanctification that he's doing in our hearts and our lives. So the first, Paul said, look out for false teachers who preach a me-centered gospel. And I know, look, that's not popular. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like attract a whole lot of people who don't wanna follow Jesus to come into and hear a, a message when I say, the gospel's not about you. <laughs> the gospel actually calls you to set yourself down. The gospel actually calls you to turn away from you and turn to Jesus. I know that's not a super attractive thing. It is the gospel. It is. And so uh, if people want to say, well, you know, anybody that has all this modern music, you know, is a seeker sensitive, uh, seeker, you know, friendly, man, do we want seekers to come and hear the gospel? Absolutely. But you know what? We're never going to change the gospel. We're not going to manipulate the gospel and make it what it's not. Here's the fact. The gospel is about us setting our lives to the side. It's about denying ourselves 
taking up our cross and following Jesus. And so we see this is very clear. He says, watch out for false teachers who preach a me-centered gospel. That's verse two. But then verse three, he warns us to look out not only for external false teachers, but internal pride. He says, look, don't get overconfident in yourself. And so this shows us our problem's not always other people, right? Our problem oftentimes is us. We can become so confident in our spiritual condition come so confident in our spiritual maturity that we think we're not vulnerable to weaknesses that maybe uh, the, the word is talking about. And so, uh, so we understand we gotta check ourselves continually. Verses four through six is Paul's example of, of basically saying, hey, here's my spiritual resume. Here's my example. And I'm telling you, even though I've, I've done all these things, I, I'm qualified. If anybody's got qualifications to be proud of their spiritual or religious resume, it's Paul. And Paul's saying, look, man, it's all trash. I'm telling you, everything that I've achieved is rubbish. Everything I've achieved is trash compared to knowing Jesus. And so he's not bragging on himself. He's not arrogant. He's trying to say, look, even all this stuff, no matter what you've achieved, no matter what you possess, you need to chase Jesus instead because, because he's far greater. So in, in this passage, we understand that, that Paul is trying to help us understand that, that we need to prioritize and recognize the value of knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection as primary, not secondary. So we don't look at religious experience going to church as primary. Let me just say, you should go to church, all right? You're not gonna hear a preacher say otherwise. You should go to church, I believe that. You should be faithful to attend worship. And so I'm grateful to God for your faithfulness. But if you think attending church is going to get you to heaven, you are wrong. If you think going to small groups is gonna somehow save your soul, you're wrong. And so it's not just about prioritizing church attendance. Well, I want to raise my kids in a, in a good moral environment. That's fantastic. That, that's awesome. That shouldn't be your number one priority. Your number one priority should be to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. All of those other things will follow if we really pursue that. And so finally in chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, Paul draws a contrast, and we'll spend the rest of our, our time talking about this contrast between gain and loss. It's that paradoxical thing again, all right? It, it, it's constant paradoxes here, it seems like in Philippians, but it's this idea, this spiritual math that doesn't add up in human reasoning, and that is that gain is loss, and loss is gain. That doesn't make any sense, man. Wayne, that doesn't add up. Gain is loss, and loss is gain. And the things of God don't make sense to us. But here's a way we can start understanding at Christmas time. I know if you're a parent, you totally get this. But even if you're, you're a child, you, you've, you're, hopefully your parents have taught you this kind of thing. And that is that it's, it's more blessed. Acts chapter 20 tells us that it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? It's better to give than to get. Now, I know, again, from a human reasoning perspective, that is not true. I mean, if somebody's handed out a million dollars, I want to be first in line, right? I mean, because our flesh says it's more blessed to get than to give, amen? That's kind of how we feel, even if we don't want to admit that. We want to be first in line whenever somebody's handing anything out. That's generally the way that we, we at least in our flesh, feel. It's only by the power of God and his Holy Spirit that we can overcome that. And so we understand at Christmas time, a parent 
will absolutely sell everything they have to, to, to make their, their children uh, happy. I mean, to have more than they had. My parents were great examples of this. I mean, they, they were sacrificial so that we could have a better life than they had growing up. And, and so, I, I get this as a dad. I, I want my children to have. And it is, there's something inside of us that really is more fulfilling and satisfying when we give. We get that. So it's, a, it's not such a foreign concept that we can't understand that sacrifice in some way can actually be more beneficial to us than getting something. So giving can be more fulfilling, but it's only with the mind of Christ and a surrendered heart to Jesus that this becomes a lifestyle, that we actually understand the priority is knowing and following Jesus, living in the power of his resurrection, and all of that trickling down to our decision-making so that the, the money we spend, the, everything we do is, is priority. It doesn't mean you don't have this and that. We talked about that last week. But it does mean your priorities are different. It does mean that Jesus comes first, and then everything else comes into play. And so with that, we understand. Look at verse 7, and let's read 7 and 8 again. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything is lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I count them as trash in order that I may gain Christ. So what Paul's saying is everything you think will fill you up is empty. Everything in life that the culture's throwing at you and saying, this is what you need, this is what you need, is going to be empty. It's, it's, a, it's a lie. It, it's, a, it's a big ruse, and, it, and we're going to be disappointed in the end. The things that appear to be least attractive to you now are most beneficial, <laughs> as crazy as that may seem. So this is that paradoxical challenge. Resist gain and embrace loss. Resist gain and embrace loss. Now again, from our human perspective, we immediately, in a reasonable perspective, say, that is absolutely absurd. Wayne, there's no way I'm going to resist gain and embrace loss. But remember, chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, don't seek your own interests, but also the interest of others. Chapter 2, verse 21, everyone is seeking their own interests. The tendency of mankind is to pursue, to chase after ourselves and our own pleasures. But the spiritual math is undeniable. Loss is gain. Gain is loss. So even to think about the words of Jesus, Matthew 16, 24. Let's just use this as an example. In 16, 24, I quoted part of it earlier. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, this is a call of Jesus to salvation. This is not a call of Jesus to become a super Christian. This is a call of Jesus to become a Christian. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his own soul? So Jesus obviously is the one who laid the foundation for what Paul's teaching us in Philippians chapter 3. Jesus taught us that we have to be losers for him. <laughs> that we literally have to be worth losing everything. That it, we count it all loss in comparison to knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And so with that in mind, we understand that this idea really 
trickles down into every decision we make. Because at its core, the problem with the way we discuss sin in our culture is even part of this conversation. You see, when we're talking with friends and family members, when I'm talking with folks even about difficult subjects in our day, subjects that perhaps have been around a long time, but have become more challenging for Christians to deal with now, here's what a lot of, a lot of the argument against even the church in our day in North America, here's some people say, well, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm following my heart, or you should follow your heart. You should, you should you know, trust your heart. People would even say, well, I have a predisposition to this, or I've, I mean, I'm just, it's not a weakness. This is just who I am. This is my identity. This is the conversation, all right? It's not just one category. You might immediately start thinking about one thing. There's a multitude of, of things that's in this conversation. Because here's what happens. We, we really want to make it to where we can have our religion and be able to chase after our heart. But Scripture is extremely clear and we want to say there's a lot of gray area. There is little gray area, if no gray area, when it comes to Scripture. Scripture is very clear about what is sin and what is not sin. So if we begin any conversation about temptation and sin with my heart or my desires or pleasing me, then here's the thing. We forget anything else. We're not even talking about salvation because at salvation, we actually deny ourselves. We take up our cross and we follow him. So this is what Jesus calls us to. This is not a cultural debate. This is not a debate about sin. This is what Jesus calls us to. Wayne, you can't chase your desires and mine. You can't chase your dreams and his. You can't pursue your will and his. You can't worship yourself and Jesus. So this is, I can't. I, I'm, I'm forced to make this decision at this crossroads. Every one of us. It's a crossroads of faith. It's where we choose Jesus or we don't choose Jesus. And maybe we thought we chose Jesus, but man, that whole conversation of working out your own salvation with fear and trembling was tough because we haven't seen the growth in our lives. Maybe we made a decision to follow Jesus, but we thought we could follow Jesus and keep everything else in our lives the same, but that's not what it means to follow. We deny ourselves, we take up our cross and we follow him daily. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And when we're speaking of our heart, oh, follow your heart, trust your heart. Jeremiah 17, nine, listen, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Your heart is sin sick. My heart is sin sick. The only way that I can actually make good decisions spiritually is not to follow my flesh, sin-sick heart, but to follow my transformed mind that follows and desires to, to please Jesus. So the mind of Christ that he's given to us. And so we, we, don't, we don't listen to the schemes that, that lead us down this path of deceit. We're watching out. We're looking out for dogs. We're looking out for evildoers. We're looking out for the mutilators of the flesh. We want to make sure that we're hearing the gospel. I want to chase Jesus. I don't want to chase other things. And so with that in mind, we recognize, and I want to kind of bring you to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verse 44. And real quickly, I'm going to read two parables. And as we read these parables, there's just three verses. But these three, these two parables are so illustrative. I mean, it illustrates everything we've already said. 
Jesus actually laid the foundation. If you think about Matthew 6, what's he say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So Jesus is, is obviously teaching us that we pursue him first. We don't pursue all these other things. But somehow, again, our, our flesh is drawn to chase after ourselves. Our flesh is drawn to pursue material goods, to please ourselves, to trust our heart. But he's telling us, seek first the kingdom of God. Put Jesus first. Prioritize Jesus. And then ultimately, all these things will be added unto you. But listen to these, these two parables. Matthew 13, 44. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys the field. Now that's a pretty good story. That's a cool story. Found a treasure. He, he went and he covered it up and he went and he bought the field. You may say, well, that was a little tricky. That was manipulative. But, the, but here's the whole point. He was willing to sell everything to buy the field. All right. Next parable, 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. So again, here's the point. The point is that we're at this crossroads and Jesus is, is definitely teaching this foundational concept, Matthew 6, 33 and Matthew 13, 44. Paul is emphasizing, amplifying it in Philippians 3. And here's what it boils down to. Do we find material goods valuable? Certainly. There's no one in their right mind who should say no to that question. Do, do you need money to live on? Yes. Do you need food? Absolutely. Do you need shelter? Yes. None of this should be interpreted like a, a call to uh, a vow of poverty or you should be self-destructive. That is not what Paul's saying. So don't become an extremist and go that direction. Here's what he's saying. We come to Christ, every one of us, all right? And if you didn't view your salvation this way, I'm not saying you're not saved, but this is at best a clarification of your salvation. Undeniably, this is what salvation is. Jesus is teaching us. And he's saying, when we came to him, we actually came with our hands full, all right? I came to Jesus with my hands full. What, what are you talking about? Well, my hands were filled with my dreams. My, my hands were filled with my hopes, my desires. Let me even say, my hands were filled with my temptations, my weaknesses, my vulnerabilities. My hands were filled with me, all right? Yours were too, every one of us. We came to Christ with our hands full. We approached this, this field and we found a treasure. Or we, we went to a merchant and we found this pearl. And our assessment, listen, our assessment was that that pearl, that treasure was worth more than everything in my hands, everything, every family member, every expectation, every dream for my future, that pearl was worth more. It was more valuable. And so, and so what we had to do, this is salvation. This is not super Christian. We, we had to make a decision because I, 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 didn't, I didn't have the capacity to hold on to everything else and still pick up the pearl. I had to go sell everything in order to purchase it. I had to go, go sell everything to buy this treasure, to buy the land so that I could have the treasure for myself. 
And so what's that mean? Does that mean you had to purchase? No, that's not what, here's what it, everything in your hands has to be set down before you can pick up Jesus. Everything else, everything else has to pale in comparison. It has to literally, it has to be that we see the value of knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection to be incomparable to anything else in this life, all right? So what do we do? What's, what's the answer? We pursue Christ. We pursue Christ. Instead of, instead of pursuing earthly gain, instead of pursuing popularity, instead of pursuing financial uh, wealth, instead of pursuing material goods, instead of pursuing all of these other things that everybody says we need, We've got to be drawn back to the Word of God. Listen, we need Jesus. We need to pursue Him. Why not? I just don't know. I, just, uh, I feel like I struggle, all that. We need to know Jesus. What's the answer? The answer is to know Him and the power of His resurrection. Look at verse 10. That I may know Him, Paul says. <laughs> that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Man, how, how could I have the mind of Christ? How can I make the decisions that I need to make? How can I be the man I need to be? How can I be the woman I need to be? To know him. The power of his resurrection. There's no way you will ever be who you need to be without knowing him. How can you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Know him. And the power of his resurrection, because it's that power that we sung about early, it's that power that is a pathway to success in that work. As we work this sanctifying work, the righteousness of God in us, out in our daily lives, we can't do it alone. We will fail. But with Jesus, man, we can shine as lights. Remember chapter two? We can shine as lights in the midst of a dark and dying world. They need Jesus. Man, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, maybe you came, you're religious, you believe in God, but you're just like, man, I, I don't know that I've got that. I don't know that I've pursued Jesus. I, I don't know that I set everything else down when I attempted to grasp the grace of God. You need to do that today. You need to do it today. Lord, we love you. I thank you for every man and woman, boy and girl in this room. I pray that you would speak to us. God, that your word would speak mightily. God, speak loud. I pray that the voice of your Holy Spirit would be so loud in our hearts that we could not deny it. God, I pray for that which I can't possibly produce, and that is the conviction of your spirit. God, I pray everybody in here would do business with your spirit. God, that you would show us areas of our lives we haven't surrendered, that you'd show us places we've hidden things, ways that we've, we've prioritized other things, earthly gain over you. Lord, I pray we'd all be able to agree today. We're willing to lose it all for you. You're worth it. God, your value is so much higher than anything this world has to offer. God, speak. I pray we'd listen. We'd be changed by your power in Jesus' name. Would you stand?